stay tuned for an announcement from Tony and Treckle. Treckle.com shipping now. T-R-E-K-E-L-L. One K and two L's. Yeah. Hey, but I did want to tell you this. Okay. Uh, you know, first of all, we always want to thank uh, uh, Trekel for their support, right? But I also wanted to mention that they have a new brush to their to their lineup called the Crimson Taclons. And Jay Braun, if you were familiar with my set, my brush set, it was the brush that was exclusive and only found in my brush set. But now, I, now I, they're I, now now they're available individually what do you think so of that? basically one of your brushes has joined the treckle so has they are now the, in the, the lineup and yeah, has joined the, the standard treckle catalog that's pretty yeah. amazing they're called the they're called the crimson taclons uh they treckle already has the golden taclons which is softer these are a stiffer brush so for me they were like the workhorse brush I was able to, I pretty much use them all the time. And then I would finish off my efforts um, in my work with the golden taclons, but the crimson taclons are, were like the workhorse. So uh, they have really great spring. Um, they, they go to a really great, they hold their shape really well. So uh, great, great brush. And it, now it's in the rotation at trekl.com. The combination of the, for me, the combination of the Crimson Taclon and the Golden Taclon is just, for me, it's perfect. It's a so, two, it's a two fisted punch. Yes. So it's a, it's a right and a left. There you go. Yeah. It is graduated to the Treckle master catalog. It's with I mean, humble beginnings with humble beginnings, but it's just that good of a brush that it, has to, be. That it had to join. It had to make the rounds and now it's going to be a permanent fixture. in the. I mean, that's pretty awesome. So <laughs> anyway, congratulations. Thank you, sir. All right. All right. One K and two L's. Suggested donation. All right, we're in. Um, all right, we're rolling. So welcome to Suggested Donation Special Edition, Drawing Discourse Edition. Uh, we, are, we are working in cooperation with the University of North Carolina, Asheville campus, to uh, produce a podcast primarily focused on uh, drawing uh, with our special guest and, and first repeat customer. Peter Van Dyke is the first person to be honored with a, a second appearance. Be, yeah. No, I need, I need as much attention as I can get. <laughs> so this is for the 12th annual exhibition of contemporary drawing, which would have been a, uh, an in-person drawing exhibition at the University of North Carolina Asheville campus. But thanks to COVID is a virtual get together and hence this virtual podcast as uh, one of the many activities for uh, uh, participants to engage in. Yeah. Well done, Ted. Well done. <laughs> I'm Edward Minoff. I'm Jay Brown. I'm and, and thank you, Peter Van Dyke, for being the first to come back. No problem. Um, and thank you, UNC. But I guess, uh, you know, 
Tammy Beldu first reached out uh, and, and thought that it would be an interesting kind of addition to their platform to, to produce just a conversation about drawing. And she immediately thought of you, Pete, because she, I, I think that uh, looking at your paintings, there's a lot of drawing kind of on the surface of your paintings. And it seems like you're somebody who, who thinks a lot about drawing as you're producing your finished paintings, maybe because you're kind of re, uh, re-engaging with the drawing process consistently throughout. And, and it's something I think we, we discussed a bit on, the, uh, on your, your first visit to Suggested Donation Land, <laughs> but she thought that you, you would be a, a, a great person to, to really speak about, um, about drawing. And I, I know that you're uh, a very thoughtful person. So I, I, I knew you'd have exciting things to, to say. <laughs> That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> uh, to add to the discourse on drawing. I guess, you know, for starters, we could just talk about how you, like, how you define drawing for yourself. I mean, obviously, we're, we're looking at you in your studio. You've got a ton of drawings behind you uh, up on the wall appropriately. Uh, I'm sure you've been choreographing this thing all yes, week long yes, in anticipation of this moment. Very um, carefully. But obviously, you, you, you draw as preparatory work, but I think that drawing also, it, it, it isn't just preparatory work. It's It's... The final product and then how it factors into the final product and for me it's 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 always evident in your in your finished paintings that there are so many marks left on the surface uh that seem to be you kind of determining the drawing so i, I guess as a starting place maybe how do you think about drawing like how do you define it for yourself that's a okay um so i i, I guess i I've, i think about it as um it's sort of the primary way that i I don't know, interface with, with the three-dimensional world. I, I mean, I didn't, it didn't occur to me until kind of recently that that was um, not everyone's disposition. Um, I mean, I, I think I'm very tactile uh, in terms of the way I, I see the world or, or encounter the world. Um, and my, my first reaction in, um, in, in, in sort of assessing what's in front of me or, or engaging with it is, is one that, that feels tactile and spatial. And so, and, and drawing, uh, the way I think about drawing is just a way of sort of um, noting or, or, um, or, or acknowledging and, and sort of trying to solidify a, a kind of tactile and spatial um, experience. I mean, and, and, you know, it's, it's, done for me at least it's done through i guess what you would call the um the tradition of of kind of you know perspectival um uh you know mapping sort of um that's sort of the way that i i kind of engage with um you know with with form uh and and i actually that's a pretty broad um way of talking about it because i actually think that's what we're all doing and i I don't mean it like in in a way that's like peculiar to linear perspective necessarily so yeah i mean i i almost think that all i'm ever doing is drawing um i think that when i when when i'm painting my my impulse is to to sort of find a structure uh and find a a space and then 
and then basically find a color to 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 bestow <laughs> upon that structure. <laughs> Do you know um, if that makes sense? I mean, I guess like it. It sounds like I think I, I think of drawing a lot of it, a big part of it. I mean, there I think there are a lot of components to it, but maybe one of the biggest tasks that drawing takes on in and of itself is just the translation from the three-dimensional yeah. world yeah, that's to like a, the two-dimensional, you know, whatever the surface is. That's that. Yeah. I think that's exactly what it is. I think that that that's where for, for me, I know that there are, there are people who, um, who understand, you know, that, that translation in terms of color. Um, and I, it, you know, I, I think, I mean, I kind of do as well, but uh, that, translation is where all the magic happens for me which is why um you know for for me photography doesn't have any place in in my practice just because uh, I, well for a number of reasons but um but primarily f for the fact that this that that the impossibility of the translation because it is an impossible thing it's not you know you you cannot map a sphere onto a uh, onto a plane that's not possible uh, so by definition that translation has has openings for um well i guess i'll say interpretation but uh i kind of think you know that whether well, the expression lost in translation i think that it's more like gained in translation in um in paint in, in uh drawing um but you're absolutely right it is it is the 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 movement from three dimensions into the two dimensions where all of the action is for me, at least. I feel like almost the limitations define the art form. Totally. You know? Well, that's, and that's true in everything. I think, I mean, people um, underestimate um, how much the, I mean, that, that's what the, that's where the pressure comes from in, in any interesting engagement is like the limitations. I mean, you know, hockey is not a very good sport if you take the boards off, you know, like <laughs> just, what are they just gonna chase the puck around some some endless plane of ice? I mean, oh, you it just keeps those. going, it right? Keeps right, going. Like, right. The, the limit, the limitations are the framework in which your art is created. Exactly, and and you know that's I don't know if if you have ever heard of this essay um, called the Heresy of Zone Defense. If you haven't, this is like the most. This is the best um, essay about sports and art. Um, it's by a guy <laughs> named Dave Hickey, who I think just officially. Uh, retired in in total frustration from um, art criticism because the, the debauchery in the art world was just too much for him to bear. Um, but it's, it's, a, so it's a short essay, it's, and it's great. And he taught his. It's about how the NBA has done a great job of um, adjusting the rules as the game changed to keep it uh, interesting. And so, that, that like, as the players adapted uh, and different things became, uh, you know, the, the things, things would happen that would make the game more boring. And so yeah. they would change the rules or, you know, make modifications to the rules to keep that, you know, to keep it interesting. And that's, so I just, it's a, I, I just point that out because it is a great um, uh, and short uh, essay about, about the relationship of rules to beauty. Because he actually talks about, he talks about basketball from an artist's point of view, basically. Basketball or hockey? 
basketball. Sadly, if it were hockey, it would truly be the best piece of writing in the world. Yeah. So he's talking. So he's talking about like the shot clock, for example. Is that? Uh... Yeah, I, I actually don't know enough. I mean, his his big thing is is, um, and I haven't read it in a while, but it is obviously based from the title. You, it's about zone defense, and um, anyway, it's a it's a great essay, and and I think. Yeah, the, the the limitations are everything. Um, now, I, I mean, I, I guess I would b- b- bounce this question back to you guys. Like, um, I don't know, Tony, what are you like? What is drawing for you? I mean, is it a preparatory thing? I'm, I'm genuinely curious about how my my um, outlook here is, is it's, in any way it's novel. Become, <clears throat> it's become a prep thing for me. Um, but when I'm alone and with my own thoughts i start realizing that it should be it shouldn't be a preparatory work that i take it so seriously and i love it so much but because of the limitations of time sometimes for myself to say hey i gotta do this thing and i'm a working professional that it ends up being a preparatory work but some of my favorite art in the world are drawings so and Go ahead. You say, what do you define as a drawing? Is that a question of the medium? I mean, that's funny. That's funny that you say that because one of my questions to you was, you know, what what is what is a you know what is a what's the reason for drawing or in general? Yeah. Well, so 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 it's 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 hard. It's this it's this battle that I've been having because we talk so much about drawing privately, you know, amongst ourselves as artists because we realize that it's the most stripped down version of everything we want to do in its most simplistic form not saying that uh drawing is simple but the stripped down version of everything we do starts with the mark and that's drawing yeah painting good painting starts with drawing everything starts with drawing why don't i and i take it seriously but i'm wondering why i don't do more drawing for drawing's sake for myself and not necessarily for anybody else. I, I think that there are kind of two, two ways to think about drawing. I mean, one is the medium, which like, it's, it's hard to argue. Like if you're, if you have a sketch pad and you have a pencil, it's hard to argue that you're not drawing like yeah. that's drawing. Everybody recognizes that. But I, I think Pete in your paintings in particular, like the drawing is incredibly apparent in the paint. And so I would argue that your paintings, I mean, they're painterly, but in a way they're drawerly in that. Yeah, no, that that's true. I mean, sometimes I wonder why I don't just make drawings, why that doesn't satisfy me to make drawings. What I've noticed about your work is that drawing is a continuum. Like it doesn't stop when the painting starts. Whereas if I, if I could, you know, make, you know, pose a theory here, like when Tony and Ted draw, it's the start of a painting. Whereas sometimes you're drawing way past when the painting is finished there. One of my questions for you is, have you continued? There's that one painting you have of your studio that, Uh that I, I truly love. And we used a photograph of that painting in our initial, and, and by the time, by the time we put up that photograph with your podcast, the, the painting had changed. You had drawn more on it. Uh-huh. So my, my question is, did you continue to draw on that painting? Is it different now than it was when we saw it? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. Um, I, I don't have the painting anymore. Um, but so, I, you, so that stopped you from drawing on it. <laughs> That'll do it. Um, yeah. I, but I, but um, I, I think I, I, I never 
it's never my intention to um, put marks necessarily on the on the canvas. I mean, the, my intention is to try to kind of track the the forms through the space, and when you know uh, space uh, space is very close. Well, space for me kind of has this gesture. We talked about that before, I think. Um, and volume has a has a disposition like a posture um and so that kind of posture of forms is the kind of motivating idea for me in drawing and and like the way one thing goes to another thing so like um you know and and, and like strictly in, in kind of conceptual thinking in terms of volumes like you know, why is it that we, when we, uh, if I draw a cube in, you know, whatever, three-point perspective, right? Mm -hmm. We actually recognize a movement in that object. And it's like the object is understood in space relative to the viewer. All right. So there's like a, there's a viewer to object gesture there. And like, so in every, in every piece of drawing to me, whenever you're drawing something, you're articulating a, um, a postural relationship between either two planes or two forms or two, you know, um, well, two planes or two forms, basically. And so when I'm painting, if the, if the painting, if the space or the forms don't have, um, um, if, they don't, if they don't move into each other, uh, in a way I want, or if I'm curious about how they might move differently, then I'm, in, then I am, um, uh, I'm compelled to draw in order to try to affect to, to, to move that somehow. I mean, um, and so that's what, that's what, uh, you know, that's the impetus for the marking. Uh, and then it's kind of, <laughs> you know, it's not quite paint by numbers, but, um, it's like, <laughs> The, the drawing is always an attempt to re-engage spatially with, with, with the painting and with what I'm looking at. Um, mm. So I'm never really just like filling in anything. Um, well, I am, but, but I'm doing it with the goal of expressing a, a spatial relationship of some kind. So um, now, now that, that means basically in painting, that means pulling the color to a, to a shape that will do that job. And that shape is arrived at by um, a combination of thinking about the sort of structural uh, planar orient, you know, character of what I'm looking at. And then also the way that the light works with that. Um, so I, I, the, the working on a painting for me, if you were to have the, the, um, the thrill of watching me work on a painting, um, you know, most of the time, like I, I'm with there with the pencil, I'm trying to, draw, find a form and find a location and then, uh, and then kind of find the color to put there. Um, I had, I actually recently did, a for my, one of my classes, a time-lapse of me working on a painting. Um, and like, first of all, if, if this can't get you committed to a mental institution, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what can, because just to watch me in this video, I mean, I, I, I honestly was like shocked by, just how totally scattered this person looks uh, when, when they're working. It's like the Benny um, Hill music is behind you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, honestly, like it just looked like this person has no idea what they're doing. Um, fraud, 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 fraud. Hey, man, I'll take it. Um, so, uh, you, you know, you're not a success until somebody calls you a fraud, period. Sure, yeah, I like that. I, thank but you. What about when you feel like a, a fraud all the time? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that, that just means you're, you know, realistic. Um, so, uh, I mean, the, the, the drawing is, is, like I said, is, is the main impetus for Mark for touching the canvas actually. Yeah. You know what I hey, mean? Pete, yeah. when you talk, when you, we all kind of have a process when it comes to drawing. Do you ever deviate from your, your process that you're kind of used to that you kind of, even your mindset on how you approach a drawing, do you ever just change it up just because of the situation? Um, I mean, I, I, I generally don't draw with the intention of making a drawing. Um, mm. I, I mean, I've, I, I've tried that and that never goes very well. Um, I don't know how to use the material right or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> material uh, meaning graphite? Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I'm, I, well, okay. So I, I kind of think that there are a couple different things for me. Drawing is, is this, like I said, this expression of this, of the kind of explicit structural ideas. Um, and then there's this other thing called what I call pencil painting, mm -hmm. which is like um, this um, when, when you sort of use a drawing medium in the way you would think about painting, you know, like you really take light as uh, as a dominant idea in the in the in the drawing and you know it's almost you don't, like line versus mass right yeah yeah basically i mean like it's i guess it's what i would call more like illusionistic i mean if you um i mean this would be a lot of people do this i i, I don't know how to do that um but if you would see uh somebody like Catherine murphy or um uh because this is kind of a new thing it's not something that you see in um you know in, in like 19th century pencil drawing well may, maybe a little bit but um if I think the, it started to be in the 19th century i mean i think you'd get like proudhon who's making that's drawings true. for drawing's sake and those drawings are very they're they're, they're considering everything i mean as as finished ideas yeah that's did he see them that way i actually don't know if that's true did, did he see them that way i I think he, I mean, they weren't studies for anything and they okay. were, they were, uh, many of them were finished. Like they, they were, they were finished and he saved them or he must've, or somebody saved them. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I think they, I don't know if there were people thinking of it that way before. I mean, obviously like, you know, Michelangelo was destroying his drawings and, you know, wasn't thinking of those as, as the finished product, although enough of them have been the preparatory work. work. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I, I do think in the 19th century, you begin to see people thinking about drawing as its own kind of finished, fully kind of realized statement. Well, what about etching? I mean, well, that's, that's you know, etchings, they were, they were selling those and, you know, using those for reproductions and stuff. They're pretty drawing. Yeah. So, so do that, yeah, that's, a, there's another medium question. I mean, the medium thing is, is, the medium is crazy. Yeah. There's so many different ways. Yeah. I mean, when I'm drawing a lot of the time, it's just this great way to wade into the experience, you know? Yeah. Um, it's very, I, I say it's very low stakes, except for in the sense that um, everything you do is high stakes because it gives you an opportunity to feel awful about yourself. <laughs> um, and, and so, but if you can get over that, <laughs> that it's just a way to dip your toe into um, an, an experience and then it can kind of grow from there. And, and one of the things that I've had is like, I'll start by drawing um, and, and then I will just find that I can't do, I can't solidify the idea in graphite for some reason. 
it's it's what I would it's like um graphite and the flexibility of it is all is is its strength and it's also its weakness um graphite is what I like to call an analog medium so like uh it's where you know because I, I, I I'll do this I will draw in um in graphite a lot and then when I when I start to feel like weary of that I I will draw with a just a permanent marker style kind of kind of drawing yeah and I have my students do this too because graphite its natural tendency is to tend towards a cloud you know what i'm saying yeah and and it becomes what i what i think of as a kind of a noisy medium like it has it's this kind of background um has this kind of background hum to it and it can be hard to detect the signal out of that do you know what i'm saying like a decisiveness of mark yes yeah so it can quickly get consumed into that um and and then you can, you know, I try to leverage that against what I think of as a kind of a, almost a digital uh, um, mindset, which is what you have in, in when you draw with like a Prismacolor marker where it's mm-hmm. only on and off. You know right. what I'm saying? It's like binary. Yeah. Exactly binary. And, and those are two ways of, that I think about both drawing and painting is there's the kind of, um, there are media that tend towards the the background noise of the surface mm-hmm. that, and that, that and that's kind of the unifying force in the in the in the on the page and then there are media that that cut the uh the page into these clean distinct things and i i just feel like i'm always looking for a balance of those two things but pencil has always been hard for me to extract myself from the soup you know like right. mm-hmm. i've actually found recently i over like the whole quarantine period, I discovered fountain pens, which uh-huh. I'm obsessed with. And it's such a great medium because it's it's got that kind of binary quality, but there's a little bit more kind of artfulness to the line than let's say a Sharpie. Yeah. And so I, I can, I, I've been using that actually as kind of like a low stakes way to like just try out. Cause I think a, another thing is, is, looping back to the kind of the translation from 3d to 2d, like to just explore that process in, in a way that doesn't feel like um, that feels low stakes that it, it feels like, you know, I can just flip the page and, and do another one. If, if I haven't gotten it to a place that feels compelling. Yeah. That kind of translation process. And then the other thing is that it brings into the, the idea of, of design, which, in, in the first podcast um, that you recorded with Suggested Donation, um, you were talking about substrate independence and kind of wondering what, you know, what it is specifically about the configuration of, of shapes that makes yeah. uh, the example used as Velasquez great. And yeah. that, like, that's also, I think, one of the big kind of components of drawing or the big tasks of drawing is just that design, like the design of shapes, that configuration that, that translates to, to another medium, because if you're drawing with the intent of, you know, as a study and the intent of painting, uh, or if you're just drawing as a final product, the drawing itself has to have that substrate independence. It has to be able to translate. Otherwise you're probably not on like a compelling composition. I mean, that's, that's my feeling. I'm still T- totally obsessed with that idea in, in, uh, I mean, it's just one of those 
confounding things that um, maybe there's just no good answer to, but uh, yeah, what is it? What is the essential character of, of a piece of art and why, why can it survive translation into a different medium? I mean, that's just, I, I, I honestly cannot get my head around that, why that's possible because it has to somehow escape its material, you know, life. There, I, I think of it as a kind of a melody question. Like there are, um, in music, you know, I probably used this example before, but like you can whistle certain things and, and they carry a lot of the character of, of, you know, the actual piece of music, even if that piece of music is not meant to be whistled. I don't know any music <laughs> is meant to be whistled. I'm sure there is some. Uh, I actually, when I was in school, I tried to start a whistling, um, like a quartet of whistling. Like acapella group, a whistling acapella group. Yes, yes. So here's the thing. You know why this doesn't exist? Because you cannot whistle and laugh at the same time. <laughs> this was immediately apparent that, um, that we could not conduct this activity without laughing. I, I'm still, I'm still obsessed with with that idea, and I think with whistling. Yeah, that too. Um, yeah, with why? Wh what is it? I mean, I, I, I do think there are, there are, there is a component of art that, well, obviously of of painting and, and all art that is totally material. Like, you know, I want to see the, the that surface. I want to see that. Um, uh, I want to see that, you know, sculpture with the material, you know, I, there is a, you know, like when you're at the museum and you, you just really want to touch the painting, right? Like you really <laughs> want to um, kiss it. Waiting for that guard to turn around. And then just grab it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure uh, how to land that plane there, but I, um, I think uh, I, I'm still confounded by, by that idea. Hey, Pete, I have a question. It's one of those that it, it's one of those questions that you kind of hate getting because it's an it's so hard to answer. But what makes draw a good drawing good and what makes a bad drawing bad? Oh, my gosh. Outside of the obvious, you know, it's just like what makes a good drawing good? Maybe as a teacher. <laughs> uh, well, um, so, I mean, I'm very clear in my teaching to set out a set of um you know, of, of kind of goals that are, are a little bit closer to being objective. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I don't think, I, I don't like to make the claim that that makes it a good drawing. Um, uh, yeah, a good drawing is, is one that I like. Um, <laughs> uh, well, without getting sucked down the rabbit hole of, of subjectivity, I, I think yeah. the things that I moved by in drawing, um, it's a, really kind of the same things I moved by in painting which are, uh, you know, a kind of life to the surface and the design. Um, and, and then just that magic, the magic of being in two separate worlds at once, where one, one of those worlds is the obvious flat material that's in front of you. And the other is this other world that's been evoked on the page. And, and so you're stuck straddling these two almost um, irreconcilable worlds. And uh, that, so for me, that's what makes the kind of drawing that I want to like look at and I want to have in my house. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that I really admire in drawing. Um, I'm not sure if that makes it good or not. I mean, I really admire, um, uh, you know, people's ability to um, 
you know, express, uh, you know, strong structure. I don't know. It's just like some fetish I have, I guess, but um, uh, that maybe that's just part of my obsession with building things. But um, I don't like know. Russian I mean, academic what, drawings you're talking I, about? I really, I really, that's like kind of like my porn. It's like the Russian. <laughs> <laughs> and not, I mean, not, some of them are porn. <laughs> um, I just love that. I mean, it's, I, I just love that stuff. Um, and, but, but I've seen in my, you know, as, in my time teaching, I've seen people who have just no inclination towards that, that kind of drawing and they make drawings that I really, really like. And um, I just, that's one of those things that you just have to say, well, there's more, obviously there's more to this than, than I originally thought. Um, uh, so I mean, when, when I, when, when I'm teaching, I teach, I te I have a couple different sort of ways of, of thinking about the, the teaching of, of drawing or anything else. There's, I, I send, I will lay out like a very basic idea, like, all right, we're just talking about this idea, say about site measurement, you know, um, and kind of site size, you know, well, I don't, I don't, or more just like, just kind of calculating, just calculating, visually, just the idea yeah. of mapping. Um, okay. you know, and, and sort of the idea of a picture plane, uh, and, and that there's a set or there's some relationship set of two dimensional relationships that, that can be imposed on a picture plane. Um, and so that's an idea. And I like the students can practice that idea and, and we can be pretty clear about, yeah, I think that if this, then that, or if that, then that, um, and this is not right for that, um, within this sort of set of constraints. And, um, and that I'm very happy with. I, I like teaching that, it's very straightforward. Um, and then everything after that is just a kind of a no holds barred thing. And this is true with, with painting. It's like, it's, you, either, you either say I'm limiting the thing to a very straightforward concept or it's all on the table. And, mm. and once it's all on the table, you, it's almost impossible to separate the elements out from one another. Right. And, and, you know, I, I can't say, you know, I can't talk about shape without talking about space, without talking about line, without talking about, and it's just all these things are, I like, I like to say they're like dials on the equalizer. Um, you know, like you, you, you turn this one thing up and then, then you need to maybe turn that other thing down. So I, in, in the, in the teaching realm and the idea of what's good and what's not good, I can only talk about something being good or not good. If I have a very uh, strict definition of what the exercise is, mm -hmm. but, but I think you and I, you guys and, and my, you know, we, we, we came from uh, a sense of what a good drawing was. And yeah. I guess I would be very interested to know what you would say to that. Um, I mean, because do you still have that feeling or do you feel like that's been, um, you know, eroded? To, to me? Um, yeah, well, either one of you, both of you. Ted? <laughs> Synchronized. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start our whistling group. No, no. Uh, I, you know, uh, I don't know. It's one of those questions that's really hard to answer. That's why I threw it your way. <laughs> just, to see, just to see what you would come up with. I like what you were saying. I, I don't know. I think, I think things change when you were talking about putting everything on the table. It's to me, it was always like this spinning of plates things yeah. that when you put so much on the table that it is a little confusing, I see too much 
All mm-hmm. of a sudden I want to play with all the dials and I don't know. Sometimes I need to mess with one dial to know, Oh, this dial does this. And yeah. to try to understand, just to use your analogy, just to try to understand which, what every dial does to predict yeah. what this one will do to this other thing. Once you yeah. in sync. That's and exactly I what that, I'm, I was, that's exactly but what it's I was. really hard because it depends on how many dials are there. I don't, you know, I find, I, <laughs> if it's two, that's one thing. If it's 20, that's a whole I different ball. Like my definition of where the dials are hasn't really, maybe that doesn't change as much as like, I just keep discovering new dials that I didn't know were there. Yeah. yeah. Like that's it's a true. whole other dial yeah. that like forces me to recalibrate the, the old dials right. because to incorporate it, if they're all relative to each other, then to introduce a new dial means <laughs> you have to like, re-eq all the other dials that that's a that's right yeah i mean that's that's definitely the way i i I think about it and and to tony's what tony was saying i guess i think of the dials as those concepts you know like like let's just talk about yeah yeah like some one of these these um i guess there's no better way no other way to say it like these drawing ideas you know um and and so uh yeah i think that the teaching is like, let's talk about this dial. Here's how this dial works. Here's what this dial does, you know? Um, and I can't, I honestly cannot tell you what to do with that. Like, I mean, I can just, I can give you, I, I tell you what I try, um, but you know, how you adjust your equalizer, that's your, that's you, that's who you are, you know, um, in, in your but how, how do you, how do you develop that? Would you just say experience and just doing it all the time helps you understand the skills needed to yeah, understand I think, that stuff? I think like how do you teach that? I you can't. I mean I and and I think what experience does is it just makes you more aware of of what you are, you know, what um and and the stuff that you used to that you hold up as being uh what you're seeking to emulate, like some of it drops away and uh and well, I should say no. This your skills, your skill set uh, starts to become really just much more customized to your temperament. You know, mm. I mean, I, th- I think of it as a, I, I you know, a, a workshop. Basically, it's like, you know, if you had a workshop with endless space in it, and I just kept giving you tools, which is <laughs> a dream. But um, <laughs> you know, like, no, but when you know, when you have when you have certain tools eventually you find, Oh, I use this tool all the time and I never use that one. Yeah. And like, okay, you don't need that one. You know, I mean, yeah. uh, and, and that's, yeah. and you can really only use so many tools. I mean, but somebody else might need that tool. Oh you know, yeah, a exactly. Lot. Yeah. No, like, I mean, okay. So when I cut metal, I cut it with my chop saw. So I don't use my angle grinder a lot. There are other yeah. people who are like, dude, I never use the chop saw. I always use the angle grinder. And you're and, crazy and, for using a chop saw. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and and so I got my saws all yeah, out. Yes, <laughs> idiosyncratic as well. That's just mine. Seems to be more handy. Or like, you know, I just keep my angle grinder in the basement. Like whatever right. it is, it just makes sense to me. The angle yeah, grinder it, just makes sense to me. <laughs> it, it just there's no. Uh, it's just something in the way your brain's organized and the way that your space is organized, and um, and so I think that the what becomes clearer is what works for you. And there is no replacement for experience there. There's just none. I mean, that's why, 
that's why I think um, it can be very uh, teaching can be very difficult because you want to just fast track somebody to something, you know, because you just don't think like, well, why should they have to suffer for however many years? Um, and, but you can't, I mean, it's just, it wouldn't be worth it anyway. If, if you could, I just, it would be too shallow or cheap or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think there's, there, there's no substitute for experience, but I think you can like, I mean, just having experienced failure with like one way of thinking about or approaching it or just starting versus another, like you can save people out of time. Like, you know, no, I I think that's the, that's the teaching thing really uh, is to say, I went down that path. There's nothing there. Right. Or like to construct a, like a logical argument as to, you know, why approaching it this way may save you time versus if you go through it this way, like maybe you're, you know, piling up, but the foundation hasn't really been settled yet. And I mean, that to me, that's really what drawing, like when I first came to studying at like an atelier was really about like, you know, pouring a concrete foundation. Like it was just, you can't build anything unless you've got a foundation. Yeah. And, and, I, I, well, one of the other things I was thinking about was that um, when that what's so attractive about drawing to me is the lack of downtime between the the thought and the action. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, interesting. And and that's <laughs> uh, when I'm painting, like I'll have a thought, like an, the, the impulse <laughs> to do something. It's so true. And by the time I've gotten to the palette, I'm like, what? I kid not this is it's just crazy and so there is there is um there's just a, a delay between the impetus and the action and that's and that's true the, the more complex a medium that's always going to be the case you know yeah and, and so yeah. what what um because you got to go you got to like find the you know mix the color and, and then and I mean, some people have a very fast painting process. I, I'm very s- slow because I'm very easily distracted. But um, the um, <laughs> tin foil. It's just that that <laughs> moment of just all. But that moment but, of just the seeds of doubt. Even if it's a split second, there's just oh, that much. There's just more doubt than if you just did it immediately. Yeah, but I you know, and I think that that's that's um, a feature of painting as much as it is a bug too. Like. It, you know, it, I think it does introduce more neuroses into the, into the yeah. work, but I don't think that's a bad thing if, you know, that's just part of what you're, what you're like. And, um, I mean, one of the things that I've discovered about drawing that, that I don't think this is necessarily very novel, but I found that there is something that happens when I'm drawing fast, like on a small scale, for example, there is some reaction to what I'm looking at, um, that always gets, um, if, if I make a painting from that idea that always seems to get rationalized as the painting progresses. So what I've been thinking about is, and been trying to do is to use the, whatever gets generated in the very quick work, like all of that, which is unconstrained by concerns about proportion or concerns about, um, 
you know, whether all the shit's going to fit in there or not, you know, um, and, and said, okay, this is a fact, like this little drawing I made is a fact, you know, like it's, a, it's a thing I made this and it has certain characteristics and, and it has characteristics that I want the painting to, to, to have. And however, I want the painting to have all this other stuff too. And, and so the, by starting with the, the drawing that, you know, a small drawing and sort of letting that seed kind of grow into a larger drawing where I'm trying to negotiate the complexities of the space, negotiate that with what I, with the spontaneity of the original drawing, right? Because like these two things are going to have, be at odds with one another uh, and trying to, you know, make compromises to maintain the wackiness of the, of the initial sketch and still get some kind of proportional relationships that will allow me to dig all the way through the space in the way I want to, you know? Um, and so that I think drawing has been, and, and is just a great workshop for, um, you know, hashing out th these, these problems. And, that, that's why I, none of my drawings are, um, well, I, I guess this is true. Um, I, like I stopped making them. I stopped trying to make drawings for the sake of drawings because they always felt really tedious and self, um, self-conscious. Whereas if I were drawing and I was thinking about, about what I, what I would want if I were to make a painting out of this, then the drawing looks much better. <laughs> I found that's true actually of like plein air sketches too. Like if I go out and I try and make like a little painting. Oh no, it never works. The worst thing in the world. But if I go out there and I simply try and paint to like learn something, to like take some something that's happening in the world and like translate it to a canvas in a way that makes sense to me. If I just try and focus on that, I can occasionally get something that doesn't make me want to hang myself. Yeah, no, I can, I completely agree. And that's, I've actually taken that approach with everything I do. I mean, there's, I, I don't know, in all seriousness, there's nothing good. For me. Yes. No, well, yes. Um, there's nothing good. And my, my, this is just my own experience. And, and I think it's not true of everybody, but um, the part of me, that um that wants to like put something out there um kind of self-consciously uh only generates something that i think somebody else kind of wants to see you know and that's always that you know that's bad for so many reasons but um the whereas if i just treat everything as part of an ongoing investigation and that's the way the painting is too i mean if, if uh, th if I just treat everything like that, it stays fascinating and it never goes into that stage of like, you know, when you're just kind of like, ah, is that, oh, ah, you know, you kind yeah. of, um, you feel like really, yeah, I don't know, constrained or something. Tiptoeing through a minefield. Yeah. And it's like, this cannot be what painting is about, you know, <laughs> like, and, and I, so everything for me is, I, I mean, I, I've thought about it like when I started running, uh, the only way I could run was if I told myself, I'm going to run forever today. Like I'm going to run a hundred miles. And, and so I would just, I would never run to say like, I'm going to run and stop at four miles. I would pretend I would convince myself I was running all day. 
And then I'm like, oh, I guess I'll stop now. Like, because you want to run past the projected finish line. You know what I'm saying? I've had to do exactly the opposite. (laughs) So I have to tell myself I'm running for 10 minutes really fast and then I'm done. That's That's the only way to get myself to run. But I I mean, I I just think that you want (laughs) to, you want to kind of, cross the finish line without knowing you crossed the finish line, you know, uh, and, and shoot, shoot way beyond it. And, um, yeah, I, I, but, but drawing for me has been, has been just this great, um, place to, like I said, wade in and then keep exploring. I, like I but I've yet to find a way to crystallize it into something that I really would like put out there or yeah, I think that's true. I don't know. I mean, you put you put drawings. I mean, they're they're as studies, but in in the catalog uh, of of um, that the show. I guess it it wound up being more of a virtual show because of shutdown. But uh, a flight to the world. Yeah, I, I I did. I put everything out there because I realized that all of the um, that the paintings really aren't any more fully thought, realized or anything. I mean, this is just this is everything is kind of mid stride. Um, right. Uh, and, and I mean, I just don't know. I don't, I guess I don't know how to look at my own drawings. Um, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I did. I have a, I have a question for you guys. Is that, is that fair? Yeah. On oh, right. the tables are turned, my friend. I mean, you already asked a question. The damage is done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this is one of the most like confounding things for me, along with the substrate independence question. But do you think of drawing as a language? Uh, does that resonate with you? Yes. Yeah, totally. Yes. I mean, I, I think of it as as a visual language, and I think that like in in a lot of ways, everything that we're saying is through drawing in, in our in our whether it's drawings or paintings. I think. I think it's like that. I think drawing in some ways is the visual language. So, so yeah, you would agree, Tony? I do. Absolutely. Um, I think all the aspects of the, of the art we're making could have that separately. Like they separately have their own language, like color has its own language. Uh, The way you put down, even as, even the way you put down a brushstroke or the way you put down a mark, like the length, there's so much language in everything we do to make art. And yeah. I think with drawing, it's, it's really kind of the, the first language. I, I agree. So here's the thing that, that, um, that is so unsettling to me. Um, this is the only thing, everything else in the world is fine, but this is very unsettling. Um, so, I can't think of any other language that um, has a kind of tangential relationship to physical reality. So what I mean is that like, um, so and I think this is true. Like, look, so language has, has, has um, symbols and grammar and, and this is true. This is the way language works. No matter what, what um, you know, we have an ex- expectation of how things are ordered and that's not to say that they have to be ordered that way, but, but um, this is like the fundamentals of language. And, um, or, and in painting and drawing, at least in the tradition that we are involved with, language has this strange um, relationship to illusion. 
And like when, and that's really weird. There is no other language. And, and so this is the thing, like, if I, if I ask you to go outside and describe using, um, using English words or whatever, you know, the language of English, what you see, nobody would ever mistake what you were saying for, they wouldn't walk by your words or take in your words and think, oh, I thought I was there. They now, might. I think they might. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, no, no, no. I mean, like, because think about this, what, what we do or the, the what, what we do actually eventually taken to its extreme ends up with virtual reality. Do you know what I'm saying? And virtual reality bypasses your language apparatus and actually, because it can make you sick, right? But I think it's a different language apparatus that I think, I, I, mean, I don't think so. We were talking in, in the, the other podcast, in the, the, the first, your first visit to Suggested Donation Podcast. <laughs> we were talking about, uh, a little bit about kind of, or, or we touched on kind of the language, the visual language. Yeah. And kind of it, I mean, it, it is all a construct. Like there are a lot of assumptions that are made to recognize this assortment of shapes that you're putting together to represent something in the world in the same way that there are assumptions made to recognize a series of words that are put yes. together to recall that, an experience. That I completely agree with. I think the one, the thing that's, that's strange to me is that that set of symbols, right, has an actual um, relationship to um, optics. Whereas, um, and, and I say this because it, it can, it, it, in some cases, it attempts to uh, mimic certain optical phenomena. But there's, there's, did you know, what's the word? Onomatopoeia? Onomatopoeia. Yeah, that word. It's almost like it's an onomatopoetic language where it's, it is symbol, right. but it, but it, it has the sound of, of the actual phenomenon itself. Right. Um, um, and I, I just find that interesting. So like if, if I, I mean, perspective is a perfect example. Perspective is an absolutely symbolic construction, right? I mean, this is. It, Brunelleschi was pulling this stuff out of his ass. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, 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 you know, it's a, it's not a fact about the world. Uh, it's a, it's a construction right. that, that we've so imbibed as a way of expressing three-dimensional reality. And what well, we're plotting and, and, and predicting three-dimensional reality. Yes, right? that's right. But think about what Brunelleschi's initial move was. It was to replace his visual, part of his visual field with a painting. Right. Right? To render seamless the, the space of reality to the painting and then back to the space of reality. Right? I mean, that says it all. Well, he was thinking like, it's funny that you said that, but he was thinking virtual reality in a way before was exactly, it ever existed. That is exactly what he was thinking. And that's, yeah. that's why I think. He's that's the forefather. Yeah, no, but that's what's fascinating to me about um, the, like I said, the relationship between language and um, what, what starts to become, you know, like a phenomenon, like, like a physical phenomenon, because I think that the like again the fact that virtual reality can make you sick, right? right? That I'm I that that to me says like we're we're skipping we're skipping the language part of the brain here. Um, did you know what I mean? 
Yeah, and, and I never thought about that way. But he was on, like you said, he was doing virtual reality. It's precisely what he was doing. Yeah. Um, so, what virtual reality make you sick? A movie could make you sick. You know, if a roller coaster or a shaky camera is enough to make you sick sometimes. Have you ever been in the Omniverse theater, like one of the theaters that goes up and around you? Yeah. 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 yeah so like planetariums like, sometimes do oh, that yeah, yeah. with the whole but if dome. You have, yeah. If you, they'll do these like flying things where, you know, you're kind of zooming around the space or something like that. And every um, physical reaction that you would have to being suspended over a gorge, for example, yeah. there, you're like, oh, you know, you, you know what I'm saying? Are those Some the of the newest the seats actually move? Is it like a, yeah. uh, an experience? Not, well, I've, I've never been in those. I don't go to that kind of theater with the anime. <laughs> the, the I'm not sure. Oh, well, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm like, I'm and curious how much of it is visual or whether it demands like some other stimulus. So no, like, I, could, I know. could you do a drawing that would make people sick? I can. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I'm doing one right now. <laughs> I can make you a meal that'll make you sick too. Um, no, the, the the experiences that I've had, had true. cooking is the other one. Had, um, had no associated motion with them. They were just purely visual experiences, um, and and so yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a very confounding thing to me that that we don't have any other maybe somebody can point out an example of some of another place where this would be the case, but um, where there's, and I, I call it a tangential relationship because they're not really the same. It's like they come together and they almost touch, you know, and then they go their separate ways, physical reality and, uh, and this symbolic language. Music can maybe have, uh, it seems like music has a bit of that too. And you can hear the sounds of nature in music, whether it is at the pitch, the note, the, you know, the longevity of something mimics something in nature that could be so perfect. And, uh, and they could have that moment, like you were saying, and then they go off in their own because nature's nature yeah. and music becomes music. Yeah, so, music. So, but, 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 but again, it's in the arts, it's in the arts, you know? Yeah. Hey, uh, uh, Pete, I have a, a question for you. Cause you know, when we talk about drawing a lot, every, uh, we talk about a, a, a person who draws like a draftsman, but when we talk about a draftsperson, do you feel like you need to be an accomplished or a great draftsman to be, to make great art? Do you, no. ha- do they need to go hand in hand or not? No, not at all. No, I don't. Um, I would, I would go back to um, the music analogy here. I mean, I, I always, when I'm thinking about painting, I, I try to think a lot about music because uh, I have no, I, I love music. Life would simply not be worth living without music. I'm sorry, this is just a fact. Um, and, but yet I have no, I have very little training in music and I have no ego investment in music. So it doesn't matter to me whether I listen to something, it does, has no bearing to me whether it's considered good or not. It means nothing to me. Like I just, if I like it, I'm just find myself wanting to listen to it. Um, and, and so when I think about all the things I listen to, um, I can find stuff that, you know, obviously has very little, you know, quote, technical accomplishment that, that I'm just, I really love. 
Um, and, and then, uh, you know, all the way up the scale to the highest level of, of performance. And I can't say that one of them is more moving to me than the other necessarily. And so and I've seen What's this better than a whistle quartet. Yeah. yeah I mean, seriously, <laughs> I have seen this in, again, in my students work, and this is humbling, um, that, you know, a lot of the time, the things that, that I, or we, or whatever, put on, um, on our own work, uh, the expectations of a kind of communal sense of what's good uh, are just so, they can be so um, limiting. And, and I see people who are unencumbered by that. And I think, man, like, did I miss something? Like, and, and I don't know. I mean, your, your, your skill set, whatever it is, is, is liberating. That, that's true. God, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you go ahead. Well, I was going to say in, in terms of music, your skill set can be constraining because, for example, if you know the rules of, of, of either way, you lose. If you don't learn the rules, you are left with, with limitations. And if you do learn the rules, sometimes you're left with a whole different set of limitations. Sometimes I've heard from musicians who are versed in theory that they almost regret learning some of the stuff they've learned because it keeps them boxed in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but that, I can disagree with that too, because think about the first example you said, Jay, if you don't know them, then you're limited. Yes. At least if you know them, it's your choice. It's not a choice because if you yeah, learn, but it is, you it's can, not. you can, what I'm saying, force yourself out. But if you don't know it, you don't know it. And you're but, just, but if you try to force yourself out of a set of rules that, it, it, it can become contrived. If, become if I had to choose one or the other, I would choose the latter because I'd rather at least have a chance. I, 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 my, my, my life bears out that I agree with you, Tony. Um, but I also, but I agree with Jay that I don't think I do have a choice. Like I can't, because the more you practice those things, the more you internalize them as your way of, of being um, it would be like me, um, you know, trying not to be a kind of distracted lunatic. Like this is just, I'm, I can't fight that. You know, I, I yeah. and so I, I think what is genuine is really what, what is being sought out. And what is genuine for one person is always relative to whatever their tools are. And um, I think we, we maybe don't do a great job of distinguishing what is impressive with from what is um you know from what we love and because there's a lot of stuff that's impressive i mean i'm impressed by all kinds of stuff but i don't love it you know uh mm. and and i don't know why i love the things that i love i'm not I, i'm not really sure it even matters but um i i think that that's that's something to be reckoned with like what yeah, what what is the difference between just admiring something and wanting to like say live with it? You know, um, and and I, I think again I would go back to the the tool analogy and say that that um, you know well for example, okay, so like I'm building stuff right, and I only know how to do a certain number of things. Like I don't do metal work very well or barely at all. And however, when I'm doing a project, then like I'm not that's not on the cards. Like if I'm going to rebuild the deck, it's not in the cards for me to build it out of steel, for example, because I can't weld. Well, I can weld, but it's pretty bad. I, let me just say, I wouldn't trust it to the deck. 
I wouldn't trust <laughs> my welding ability. Um, I'm not going to let my kid run out on my... I'd let Ted's kids run on there. But, <laughs> but, but, but like those, those, your skill set becomes kind of, like I said, like the rules of your game in a way. Yeah. And, and part of the fun for me in doing anything, in, in any of the projects that I'm doing, is like, let me look around. Can I do this project without going to the store? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> no, I'm serious. And COVID I love that idea. But, but, but I do think about that. Um, like, do you want to open up your game to a broader set of possibilities? For me, that's a little dangerous because I wouldn't know where to stop. But there's a kind of scavenging. That, 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 and, and that creativity for me really is about like, uh, okay, well, if I have that, Maybe I can use that for that. And actually, that, that to me speaks to the painting and drawing question. It's like, um, and I don't know how carefully you, or how thoroughly you reflect on what's happening when you're painting or drawing, but having had to describe it a lot for people, I've, I've found myself realizing that if you really dig down on what causes you to do one thing from one moment to another, it is frightening. I mean, you, like, if you look at, okay, I happen to have this brush in my hand because of something that I did a second ago, right? And then there's that color from yesterday, and I'm going to see if that, but you know what? I already have that other one mixed up, and there's a little bit too much medium on the brush right now, so maybe I'll do this instead. Like, I think those things are happening so, in such fast succession that if you don't, you know, that, that you don't realize how you are always kind of making this little... Um, making the best out of what you've got right in front of you at that moment. You're always kind of sourcing uh, the situation and the situation happens to be, I'm holding this, I want to do that. And this is right here in front of me. And, and so I, I, that's why I think painting and drawing is always a kind of little puzzle. Like, um, you know, and it's something where you're, where you're trying to make the most out of the limited resources that you have. I wonder if drawing, if part of the definition of drawing itself is is just inherent limitations, like media limitations. So, like when you're drawing and you're, you know, uh, like if you're painting, you don't leave generally the white of the ground because you have white, and so you can build that up and create it. Whereas when you're drawing, the white of the page is just all you've got to make light, and so. Yeah. Everything else that's going to darken down has to just because you can't go lighter than the page. It's just not, there's, I mean. But you're also it. limited by the, let's say, if you're using graphite in that sense and you're working on a white paper, that you're limited to how dark that graphite can get. Significantly, you can't get, yeah. You can't get that dark. So Unless they want it to get like gross and shiny. It gets yeah. super shiny and gross. When <laughs> and the, pen, the paper gets all like wavy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, the point of, that's the point of no return on graphite. Yeah, I mean that's that's another. I think that's one of the reasons that I I don't just let my drawing become the the point the whole thing. Is there's something about the sense of how not durable it is, um, and I want to be able to have a process that will allow me to go fully forwards and backwards, just willy nilly. Right. Um, uh, through the, the fragility whole, of it. I mean, that's also part of the art. That's yeah, it is. And, and I'm not, I don't do fragile. That's, <laughs> that's, not, that's not my move, you know? Um, and, and I need, 
I need something that that can survive um, the abuse that it takes in order to arrive at an arrangement that I'm happy with. So did you have to every other possible arrangement? Yeah. Yeah. Did you have to adjust your, your technical knowledge and material knowledge to be able to satisfy that, that. Oh, I remember having conversations with you, Pete, about exactly what Tony's asking. Like you started to uh, stretch canvas over panels so that you could like physically assault the canvas. (laughs) Kick it, beat it, (laughs) say bad words to it. Uh, I mean, in painting, yeah, I've always been adding things to my arsenal, I guess, in order to try to get closer to what I'm, what I'm trying to get at. Um, And I think that 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 stuff you just kind of do naturally and you don't want to be dogmatic about what counts and what doesn't count. Um, I mean, for example, uh, you know, I'm so obsessed with, with kind of moving through space uh, and, and all the different ways in which you can apprehend the world as you look around it, you know, you look at one object and you feel like, oh, I'm seeing that object and you can, and then, but then you kind of see something else and, and, and just things come into your awareness in, in, in unpredictable ways. And I'm so obsessed with that in, in painting that I have to really, really, really like rigorously track the space and, and, I've gotten to the point now where like I would, I draw a lot with a ballpoint pen on my, mm. on my canvas because it gets so hard to keep track of, of everything. It's like, I'm always looking for a finer point to kind of dig out with, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And so I've, I've done all kinds of, I guess I've done a lot of things to in the painting technique and, and I've been less experienced in the drawing technique. In fact, I would be fascinated to know what you guys do because I don't know. Like, um, I know. I know. Tammy has all kinds of of um, techniques for for sealing graphite and and yeah. building a drawing. And I don't know. I mean, there's something though that I I love about like the fact that you know, like if you look at a lot of Michelangelo's studies, you see like an arm and then a second arm that's like a little bit higher. And and all, the mark making, the the fact that he can't cover his tracks is in some ways what makes those drawings so fascinating and often more fascinating than the paintings that he made from the drawings. The drawings, there's like the the hand of the artist like can't be obscured. And that's part of like the limitations of the medium, which also define the medium and also make the medium so incredibly powerful, particularly for artists. Yeah, the, the you know that makes me think of, of another thing that I find particularly interesting in, in drawing is the ability for drawing to convey a kind of transparency of of forms and and multiplicity of of physical forms all present at the same time. Uh, you know, in a way that, that I don't know any other medium that can do it. And, and like you said, with the uh, with um, the Michelangelo drawings, and I think Pontormo is a great example of this too, where if I think about a Pontormo, like I, a couple of my favorite drawings are these Pontormo drawings, and I feel like I can really, in my, in my mind, I can picture the, just the exact proportional character and gestural movement of these forms in the body so clearly, like it has just this feeling to it. And then you go to look at the drawing, you could never find what lines to find that. 
because there's like six torsos, right? And then, you know, there's an attempt over here, and they and they all kind of aggregate and coalesce into this thing that never had a moment where it got made. You know, it right. just got made through time, and which is very similar to your paintings in a way, where like your a car is there, but then it disappears, and so there's part of the car there, and and then it it disappeared, so you didn't finish it, and so there's just part of a car. That's that's like, but that's not that's not the reason. <laughs> the reason isn't because the car disappeared, that. right? But he leaves well, sometimes. Leave. Sometimes that's true, but yeah. <laughs> but you leave traces <laughs> of it. But like the Pontormo, in a way. He's like allowing somebody to breathe. Like they're they're the, yep. the separate contours, and I, I've noticed this with um, with teaching when I talk about like analyzing old master drawings. Is that like there are certain things in 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 those those like shadow outlines which reflect like I think a note for the artist. Like okay, this muscle if it flexes the you know the belly of the muscle kind of shoots up a little bit, and so they yeah. fill out like a, a separate line which looks accidental and really isn't accidental at all, but it's it's descriptive. It's it's giving more information. Yeah, and I I, I think that there's the there's an unself consciousness about it that it, to me is is um, to be emulated in all your all one's work. Um, and because the funny thing is, whatever that quote look is that gets generated was not made intentionally. It was not right. that is just the result. Yeah. And um, it's kind of funny. I think one of the things that's very strange that we talk when we when we talk about um, when we're teaching and I, I try not to do this, but um, we give a kind of post hoc description of what what's there. And we say, like, you see how this ha he did this and he did this. And really, that's not the right way to describe it. You, it. The right way to describe it is, like, you see that this happened. You right, know? yeah. Because um, Michelangelo, the pleasure that you're getting out of that, you know, moving arm and breathing figure, he's not like, yeah, I'm going to put four extra lines down and then I'll make it look like it's breathing. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, <laughs> well, I don't think it's thought out that way, but I do think that that's actually what he's, I think that's what he's doing. I think that it yeah. is. I mean, I, I do think that, like, He's responding to something happening in real time. And you can kind of, I mean, I, who the hell, like, I don't know what, you know, I, I couldn't possibly I don't know a whole lot about, about him, but looking at it, I can, you know, develop, a, you know, through, a, a, basically through logic, you know, and experience having done so many, you know, figure drawings mm -hmm. on my own and worked with models as much as I have, like, just, saying, well, okay, here, like, why does he have these two toes here? Like, what would that, you know, and then try and kind of construct a, like, oh, okay, well, maybe he tried this foot and then, you know, wasn't quite clear, like, couldn't quite, you know, and, and so then he moved up here, but then also maybe this is a slightly different foot position and maybe the model, like, that's just not something that you can hang on to for a long time. So he had to work mm -hmm. faster and so he isolated and so then you've got these two other toes where he's just isolating the toe because you can't get the whole foot in that position. It just doesn't are, work. Are you referring to the greatest piece of drawing in the history of the world? I am, oh, which I'm looking um, at as we speak. I have it right uh, behind my computer. The Sibian, are you talking about the Libyan Sybil? Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I love the. Or show they just that. had really, or they just had really bad erasers back then. It's just it's like, all. Yeah. all yeah, yeah. Or you know, the Renaissance. They may have had all kinds of like you know foot mutations back then. That, uh, <laughs> right. The cork. He was cutting. He was cutting. And <laughs> no, but but I think that that drawing is says everything 
I mean, that toe right there is is like a full world of form. Like, yeah. and, and it doesn't matter that it's a toe. It's that thing has more grandeur than most drawings of you know whatever a mountain range, right? Yeah, like, yeah. it's just so fully felt, uh, and that's what's so amazing about drawing. It's like you know you can um, that that space between what is really there and what is evoked is so huge. And, and I, I'm, I'll let me butcher I'll b- butcher a quote here that I'm not only butchering but stealing from. Um, from my friend Scott, who says it's a, it's a Joseph Albers quote, and I think it's something like, "The measure of a work of art is the distance between the physical fact and the psychic effect," which is just a really convoluted way of saying I teach at Yale and I'm really fancy. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, um, no uh, which I think what he's saying is that the the, dis- the distance between um, the 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 material reality, right? and then how much that material reality can evoke. So the way I say this is like, so this would put um, a movie like um, uh, Avatar. Remember, that was like the first movie where everybody's like, holy shit, look at all this stuff. Yeah. That, yeah. So Avatar would be like pretty low on the list of, of accomplishments here because the physical fact is unbelievably complex, right? right. Like just incomprehensibly complex. So much time and so much engineering and all that stuff. And then you have whatever the psychic effect of that is, whatever the effect of that thing is. And so that gap between the thing and what it does is actually not that great. But if you look at, say, a Whistler etching, for example, and it's like, you know, the physical fact is like three or four little lines. And then it's so evocative that it makes this enormous gap between its very basic physical reality and then all that it evokes. And so drawing for me is kind of the essence of that. Um, could that almost be like when you see like a sergeant hand where you're like, you go yeah. up really close and it's like, Oh, it's one paint stroke. And then you step yeah. back and you're like, it's a hand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How did he do that? It's nothing and everything, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, then drawing becomes like, like infinitely like the, the potential of drawing. I mean, just because it's so limited become it, it's, it's like, I mean, because I, I, I do think that the Libyan Civil, beyond being like the greatest drawing, is also maybe one of the greatest works of art, period. Yeah. Like, it's just yeah. so incredible. Yeah. And, and it's so perfect in just in what it is. Have you ever seen that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I held, held it on my lap once. The Met owns Shut it. Up. Yeah, for, for reals. No. Yeah, it's got, you know, there's a another uh, drawing on the back, so you can kind of flip. It's a double-sided frame. Is it like some really horrible, like, goofy stick figure? It's not the best. <laughs> it doesn't work on the back. <laughs> oh, that's why. It's how, like a McDonald's logo or something. Small, too. It's really, it's surprisingly small. I was going to ask you, how big is it? Yeah, it's yeah. not very big. Uh, wait, it's... it's Eight and uh, and change by eleven and change. That's pretty small. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's like it's it's he basically it's ex- he, he drew it on typewriter paper. <laughs> you know this guy Walter Sickert? Do you know who he is? No. He, he was a British painter, um, and in, he uh, like turn of the century, late nineteenth, early twentieth century. He was friends with Whistler, um, and he did his paintings all from drawings. Uh, and the the most um, goofy fact about him is that there's a, a very famous 
like mystery writing novelist. I think her name is Patricia Cornwall, who has staked her entire reputation on proving that he was Jack the Ripper. And oh. uh, he did all these paintings of the Camden Town murders and things like this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do I, 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 so, yeah, I've heard about, I've, I remember yeah. reading. Anyway, long story, but um, in his book, he, he poses a theory that the reason master drawings are the size that they are is because they were all drawing sight size. Have you ever heard that? No. So that they were drawing, and, and not sight size in the sense that you and I think like about. Like almost David Hockney, right? Yeah, but, but, but not sight size in the sense that we think about, you know, like line the canvas up. But, right. but he says, I, I should find this little essay and, I, and send it to you. Um, he says that if you look at those sizes, it's, it's exactly the size that it would appear to you if the model were X number of feet away and, um, you know, Whatever, but but do you when you're drawing? Do you if you don't have a predetermined amount of of the object that you're intending to include? Like I want to draw the quote hall figure, right? If you're just starting to draw, right, like from a place and outwards, do you find that you draw it the same size as you see it? Uh, not necessarily. Really, I think I always do. I, I mean. I do. And I'll tell you why that's, uh, it's because when I find drawing mistakes, uh-huh. it's because that if I started the drawing determining it's going to be the, a certain size on the paper, mm-hmm. in the course of the drawing, there are these moments of like relaxation where you're all of a sudden just thinking right. about something else yeah. and you end up starting to draw like unaware a little bit more the size you see it. And then all of a sudden there's this like two different perspectives. So when I would have to draw from a different size than the size I see it, I have to be on the whole time because I will easily switch over to drawing it about the size I see it. Me too. That's, and that's, that's one, like, that's why I think um, I I almost have to be constantly re-gauging the scale of everything because um you know, I do, so I don't draw, I don't intend to draw sight size. Um, and, and, but, but when I'm just drawing, like I said, unless I have a form in my head that I'm trying to make, like, like the form of the body or something, in which case it has a kind of predetermined unit, right. That, that you then set the limits for that unit. And then you kind of proportionally subdivide that. Unless I'm doing that, if I just start drawing, it is always the size I see it. And that, that's Sickert's, yeah. that's Sickert's point. He's like, that's just what people do. Um, right. and, and I think that whole idea that, you know, we were trained on this kind of like, you've got the whole thing and you've got this proportional breakdown. I, I don't, I, I do, I use that and I think about it a lot, but I don't think that's how any of those guys drew. I think Michelangelo started with like some form and then it just kind of grew, you know, uh, into into the monster that it was. Mm. It looks that way looking at his yeah. his, his drawings. But they there yeah. are actually there are a number of of sketches uh, like in it, there was that show of uh, of his drawings at the Metropolitan. Uh, it was actually I think it was on the last time that we recorded with you. Oh um, yeah. Well, I don't and, go to New York, uh, so I don't. It uh, but there are a number of drawings that were a similar scale. Yeah. To the to the Libyan Sibyl from the same period, yeah, which is interesting well, actually. 
I always wonder though if that was just the size of the paper that was available at that that week. I, 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 I mean, like that, you know, like no, that I was mean, the paper that they just had. Paper, yeah. He, I mean, it. It seems like if 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 I'm trying to work quickly and and I don't want to have to think too much, uh, unlike encounter technical difficulties, it's it's certainly more straightforward to work site size. Yeah, I mean, I I I, I do think that 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 is kind of natural. Um, do you know this guy Stanley Lewis? Do you know who he is? No. So I, I'm just this for folks who are interested in drawing, he's somebody whose drawings are just wild. And, you know, uh, one of the things, if you, if you go in, if you dig into some of the representational work that was kind of pre atelier, um, uh, you know, it kind of, it kind of came out of much more out of, a um, abstract painting background. And he's one of those folks. And, um, he, uh, he starts drawing, and these people, by the way, what's great about about people like Stanley Lewis is that they have no scruples about like um, having to have certain kinds of skills. He's just like, I don't know, I can't figure it out, so I just did this. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, this. And, and I love this guy; he's amazing. But he'll draw, and he'll realize that this thing is he's missed a whole part of something, and so he'll put a new piece of paper between. Like if he made the torso too short, he'll add a piece of paper between. Like, like cut it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forgot the neck, so then I cut, and then I, and then I, but then the neck was too long, so then I had to cut again. And I'm, I kid you not. This is what it's. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It just makes me think of of kind of a drawing, kind of growing from the inside out, as opposed mm -hmm. to being contained from the outside in. Well, that's always a a, a thing. Ted and I, or or even at the at the at. Um, Grand Central we talk about when, when we talk about drawing is do you draw in a sort of linear way do you draw in a mass way and both are the pros and cons both are important to know but that idea of working from the center out is more reliable than working from the outside in because the outside changes so much but if we're going for, point, if we're going like for if accuracy started, if we're going for accuracy but, but if you're working from the outside it seems to stay a little bit more um, stationary yeah. I mean, well, Ted, what were you saying? <laughs> it's well, you, I was going to say, if you're starting out, you have to have some sense. Otherwise, you're going to do a Stanley Lewis and, yeah. you know, not have a, like, you'll, you'll get a torso and then you have to add paper for the head. And yeah, but it's so fun. <laughs> um, well, so that reminds me, one of the, I mean, this was a, a revelation to me coming out of the background that, that I had, and this was probably much less so for you guys, because you were trained in a much more structural way than, than I was. Um, but the notion of the silhouette not really being the most important thing, like, um, and, and so, you know, I tell my students now that, um, you know, that, that every form, you know, every form has some kind of axial disposition, right? And it's much easier to grow the form from its internal axis than from the outside envelope in, you know, I mean, uh, and, and that to me is like, once I understood that the ability to move forms through space freely just went through the roof. Whereas if you have this kind of static silhouette based thing, 
it's it really is a kind of laborious way of of copying the picture plane and it's just yeah. what what i found is that that in no way engaged my physical rea- you know reaction to the world i couldn't reach into the page and grab the form you know uh it was like the form was the last thing you got you know like <laughs> you'd get all the shapes and then you'd like sprinkle the form on right. um and as opposed to starting right from the beginning with the structure and then and then gradually honing that structure into the characteristics of the one that's in front of you, you know? Yeah. Um, and I mean, the other thing I, I found to be so helpful that I didn't understand in school was like that it's the corner of the form. that's like really the, the part that needs the most emphasis. So like, you know, every convex form, the closest part of any convex form is, uh, is by definition, not, the silhouette, right? Like it can't be because if, if the form is swelling towards you, then it, it simply can't be the case that the sides of the form are closer to you than any other part inside the form. And you know, what's frightening is when you realize like you think you're discovering stuff and you realize that people have known this stuff. Like if I had just read the right books or something, <laughs> yeah. but somehow or listen, you know, years ago. Arrow was telling you about that. Yes. No, no. <laughs> The, the reinvention of, of the wheel is like, this is... This again is, and again and again. It's funny, uh, the structure has been one of those, like, newer knobs for me. Like, uh, I don't think... I think I thought a lot about... I, I, I think increasingly I, I'm thinking more and more about that, particularly when I'm dealing with, with painting people. But actually yeah. with everything, too. It's, it's like... It's it's kind of overtaking my my like wave studies and and my understanding. Yeah, and it's like structure is like it's it was a knob that I was sort of aware of on that you know the EQ before, and it's kind of that knob is like growing and growing, and it's like consuming other knobs in the in the mm-hmm. process, and it's becoming, and it really I I think so much of so much of structure really is it's drawing based yeah i i mean i I, again like i there's something about structure just the three-dimensional structure and the ability to describe it um is maybe it's just some something that, that i'm particularly um wired up for i don't know but that's been the most satisfying thing for me and when i find and it's interesting like i'm i like you know, I'll try to explain, like, here's what we'll build. Like, we'll build it like this, you know? And the easiest way to do it is to describe it in, in drawing, you know? Like, to say, well, there's this, and then this is in front of that. Right. And um, and it's fascinating, like, when I, anytime I ever try to build something, there's just tons of drawing. Like, yeah. I can't think without drawing. You know what I'm saying? And it's not an attempt to represent anything. It's an attempt to be able to put thoughts down and then see how they relate to each other. You know, do you think that that's a thing like, because you're, you've trained in drawing because like drawing is, is part of your painting process. Like, do you think that that like the sort of gravitating to drawing to, to basically comprehend an idea that's sort of forming in your head is, is, due to like your particular relationship to drawing? Or do you think like, were you a carpenter with no drawing training at all? Like, do you think it's just, it's the best language to, to explore like 
solutions to problems, to, to certain kinds of problems? That's a good question. I mean, I, I, I think that, um, I think I, you know, as the first thing I wanted to be was a carpenter, actually. That was like, I'm serious. Like I, <laughs> I slept with a hammer under my pillow when I was, I don't know, like six or something like that. I was just to protect you from your pride. <laughs> my parents told me that story. I was like, well, what were you doing to me that made me want to sleep with a hammer? <laughs> and, and so uh, I, yeah, I really, I, I think that the thing that's really satisfying about drawing as a way of exploring structure is that it is, well, to be honest, it requires so little physical effort <laughs> completely compared with, like, I mean, there's something, it's much more imaginative um, and it feels much more magical. Like you just whip something up, you know, like you just bring something into being. And it's just, that is so much fun. I mean, yeah. God, like it, what is more fun than that? It's so um, direct. Yeah, like, and, and I think it can, when you draw all the time, you can take for granted that that's not a, a, an experience that everybody has. Like, um, and well, I, I mean, my, my hobby horse is that everybody should just learn to draw. The world would have no problems. Like, <laughs> well, maybe. I mean, think about this. I mean, we all have, we have kids and one of the first things really is like they're a bit outside of like grabbing something and putting it in their mouth to, understand what this thing is is as soon yeah. as they're able to hold a pencil they're drawing like yeah so yeah. everybody starts off like that yeah it's it's been an interesting i mean i i've my again my friend scott who's all i've stolen all of any any ideas that i have i've stolen from him um but uh you know he was telling me that that um uh you know just that that i don't know if he read this or if he just dreamt it up but that that the impulse like the mark making impulse, like the most basic thing about that was like the, the division between one thing and another, like to create a division. Um, and, and I think that that, I mean, that's, that's interesting. Like when you when somebody first marks something, there's, there is, there is the satisfaction of the material. Like Sam will come into my studio and he'll just take, he'll just take whatever I'm using and just like, you know, scribble with it. Like, and he, yeah. you can tell he just loves the feeling of the way that that thing comes off. Like he's not trying to represent anything. And so I kind of think that must be the most primal thing is like the sense of like, I'm making a marking like, and, and that there's something about that activity. Like I did this physical action and then it, it left a visual result in some way, you know? Um, and, and it is, uh, there's another idea too, that, that, like agriculture was the beginning of the imposition of, of like rectilinear forms onto the organic forms. I mean, um, like with farming? Of land. Yeah. yes, exactly. And that, yeah. that when you think about that, if, if, I mean, fascinating, the fascinating thing is that our whole sense of graphic space that comes out of linear perspective is based on a kind of, um, you know, X, Y, Z coordinate geometry. Mm -hmm. And um, that, you know, when you look at the built environment, so the built environment that we live in is obviously as sympathetic to that axial construction. And you got to wonder, is it, did the built environment end up this way because that's the way that we knew how to communicate with each other graphically? And that, that well, I guess what, what, what I'm saying is that the, the rectilinear imprint on the land that agriculture demanded I would, I think is what then generated 
rectilinear man-made structures because people were living would, would have been living in like caves and huts, you know, things that didn't go like, okay, we've got a straight wall and then a right angle. And then we've got these parallel planes and stuff like that. There's just nothing in nature that suggests we should go with a parallel plane, you know, X, Y, Z coordinate grid. Like where would you see that in nature? No, but isn't that like sturdiness? Isn't that just like engineering? I'm not sure. I think a dome is a pretty legit piece of engineering. In fact, no, I mean, I don't think a box is by any means the most solid structure. It's certainly the most logical if you're hanging paintings and putting dressers in it. But like, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's hard to overstate what a ge- geometric world we live in. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That really is the backdrop of all of our understanding of space, and at least in the history of, the, of drawing that, that we have. I, by the way, I, I desperately hope you don't have like two like sophisticated listeners that are going to fact check any of the things. <laughs> oh, they will. We'll get emails. Like that's more than hey, Pete, Pete. Did you sculpt a lot when you were Never studying? Do you? I. I mean, I guess I. Um, I guess I satisfy that need building stuff. I mean, the closest building. I've done to sculpting is I've made some little figures to try to paint, um, and then I've I've had these um, adventures in not taxidermy, but like skeleton rebuilding, you know, um, I have a bobcat that I, that is all cleaned up and ready to be assembled. Um, but that, so, I mean, I'm no, I'm, it's interesting that the sculptural instinct is really the motivation for all of my drawing. I think I have tried it a little bit. Um, I, I, I probably would do that. Um, but there's just so many things I want to do. I mean, and that, and I, I just feel like, um, I really want to, um, there's just so many paintings I want to make. There's so many, you know, I don't know. There's just so much stuff to do. And, and it's just not that high on my list. And um, yeah, life's short. It's yeah, traditionally, exactly. uh, though it is, it's, it's, um, it's kind of a way that people have, uh, in a way, it, it's a way that people have drawn. Yeah, yeah. I also think, though, that the magic of the translation is still the thing that that really gets me. Um, From so, 3D to 2D, which yeah, is not sculpting because it's 3D to 3D. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Pete, we, we, we're, we're losing light fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're in complete know, darkness now. now. Darkness, but I, I feel like we've, we've gotten to, to touch on a lot of uh, drawing points, and, uh, and hopefully this is illuminating. Oh, yeah. this this is but I, I, I want to thank you for, for being our first uh, repeat guest on Suggested Donation Podcast. And I have to say, like, looking at your paintings, I curated a show that you participated in a group show recently. So I got to see one of your paintings in person. Uh, and it, I, it just exceeded my expectations. I mean, I've, I've seen, re, I had seen reproductions of that painting, but nothing, there, there's just such a tactile quality to it. Your, which I, I wish we had had a chance to talk more about your, your, take on perspective is so unique and so your own and, and so like convincing and, and also just, it looks so cool. Uh, and, and anyway, I, I just, I want to thank you for, for coming on, but also for, for being the painter that, that you are, because uh, I, I'm constantly finding inspiration looking, looking at you and, and what you're doing. 
Well, I, that's incredibly kind. It, it's I'm, I, it means everything to me that that um, anybody responds positively to it, especially uh, other painters. Uh, and I'm constantly surprised that anybody's interested. So it makes me so <laughs> happy. And I and I love I love talking to you guys. I love what, what you're up to. And thank you so much for having me. I really do appreciate. Thank you, Peter. That was yeah. Great. yeah, and thank thanks you. thanks to University of North Carolina. Yes. yes. Yep. Thank you uh, to, to for setting us up, Tammy, and and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll be uh, talking to you soon. Yeah, we'll be talking soon. Yeah, awesome. all right. Thanks, Bye, everybody. Thanks, guys. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye.